This is Marcus Rashford and you're watching BR Football Man. Welcome to BR Football Ranks, here to rank our favourite domestic cup competition. This is your Heads Up FA Cup Final Special, brought to you with Deliveroo, who are here to deliver your matchday munch throughout the final and beyond. Make sure you get your orders in on the app where there's up to 25% off with football meal deals. You have to see the app for those terms and conditions. My name is Jack Collins and I'm going to be on my wing game on Saturday and I'm joined by a man who I already know will be ordering a pepperoni pizza, Mr. Dean Jones. Absolutely nailed on that, isn't it? That's the one thing we can guarantee about this cup final. I will eat pizza while watching it. I wish I could put bets on what you were going to order because I would be a rich, rich man. Um, but also, of course, the man who has probably already ranked every single meal on the app, Mr. Sam Tai. What are you going for, Rank God? Oh, it's a special occasion. So something a bit more high end. Take a nice, nice Thai restaurant down the road. On the FA Cup final weekend, why not push the boat out? This is a competition, Sam, that you and I have a long and illustrious history with, isn't it? Yeah, we worked on it last year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is that, does that count? I mean, I've also worked on it this year as well with some, uh, some preview work for, associated by, uh, with Deliveroo for, on BR's channels for every round heading up to the final. But yeah, we, we, we managed to make our way through some grounds for the FA Cup last year. We went to, up to Donny. Um, yeah, we, went to to the Wolves. we went to Wolves. Yeah. We went to Wolves twice. We went to Molyneux twice. Uh, yeah, we were we at Wembley for the semi-final and the final, of course. Um, it was pretty majestic. We're not going to be there this year, sadly. Uh, no fans are going to be there this year. Um, but there is an exciting cup final to look forward to, and, and something that I'm I'm genuinely really excited about. This is a young, fresh Arsenal team, a young, fresh Chelsea team basically with, with two rookie-esque managers coming up against each other. But before we get on to the big game, the Premier League finished this weekend. Uh, and Sam, have you got any big spicy opinions? <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah, I have come to the conclusion, and uh, you know you're in trouble when I start a sentence with those words, that uh, the golden boot, when tallying the golden boot up, so the most goals in, in the Premier League season, and they give them a nice shiny trophy for the top scorer. When tallying those goals, I think penalties should only count as half a goal. What do you think of that? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let, let's see if it pays off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I just found myself... I don't know. There's a couple of reasons why I've been thinking about this a lot the last few weeks. First of all, heading into those last two game weeks in the Premier League, we saw Vardy, Aubameyang and Danny Ings all really close, uh, really closely knit uh, at the top of the leaderboard to see who would actually end up winning the golden boot. And in the end, Vardy won it with 23 goals. Aubameyang, Ings, one shy on 22 I went and took a look at the shots they took. Really similar. 87 shots of Vardy, 91 of Bamiyang, 90 Ings. So they're all taking basically the same number of shots, more or less the same number of goals. And it was so tight. And then you just look at the number of penalties that Vardy scored. He scored four of five. So he was given five extra opportunities there to bolster his tally. But the Bamiyang only got two. And in the end, for, for Danny Ings, yeah, Southampton, he's not even their, their, their penalty taker. But they started giving him penalties at the end to try and get him to keep up, to keep up with the other guys. And I just thought that takes the... It, it misses the point. You know, it misses the point. And, and obviously, in the end, with just a goal splitting them, you know, Vardy's ability to take five penalties as opposed to Ings, you know, being force-fed them at the end, has essentially given him the golden boot. And this wouldn't be so much of a problem had I not been watching what is happening over in Italy with just, I wouldn't say disgust, but like I'm very concerned by the numbers. Maybe. The numbers we're seeing over there. Chiro Immobile, 
34 goals at the time of recording. He's taken 15 penalties in the league this year. What is going on? He scored 14 of them, so fair play. He certainly, he certainly nailed the art of the penalty. 14 goals from penalty spot. Ronaldo has 12 from 13 attempts. Again, brilliant from the spot, but this is, this is outrageous. So a couple of points. What the hell is going on in Italy? What are they doing? Why are they giving away so many penalties? Why are they, give, why are they awarding so many penalties? And I'm not trying to change the, the stakes here of the, goal of, of the top scorers because it wouldn't actually you know, impact the top scorer list for, for Serie A if you, if you remove their penalties. They'd still be top. But what, I just don't think it should come into the equation at all. I, I, I think it should be a 0.5. And we have some precedent for this because the old European golden shoe, they award two points for a goal in the top five leagues. They award one point for a goal if you play for Wrexham, I don't know, a lower league team. And you get like 1.5 points per goal if you play for, say, like in the Eredivisie or like a mid-tier league. So we've already got a precedent there for devaluing goals. And I think we should strike while the iron is hot and remove the full goal for a penalty when we start to tally up the golden boot. Because I don't think it's fair. Okay. All right, Sam. I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of people that are going to disagree with you and, and suggest that penalties are actually an art form in themselves. And they are, the- but they're undeniably an easier chance on goal than when you've got defenders in the way. Like, it just it, it is what it is. It is worth pointing out that with the introduction of VAR, there are more penalties being given than ever before, I would say, Dean. And, you know, with, with that, the opportunities to score from the spot are increased. Yeah, and I actually think that taking that point on further, that you can't really compare uh, Golden Boot winners from now on to anybody that came before this because not only are there stats like the ones that you've just brought up, but there's also the fact of the type of goals that have been ruled out for all these players as well. And I'd like to see uh, if somebody's kept tabs across the season of how many goals all of these players have had ruled out and how many of them probably would have counted a year a year ago um, as to not counting now for being, you know, a toe offside, which people just wouldn't have pulled up before. So I think that that's, that's an interesting one as well. You know, can you compare, you know, Vardy to Alan Shearer's tallies from years gone by, for example? It's, it's not going to be possible because the game was completely different. So whereas we've always looked at the Premier League era as being the modern era, well, actually, now you're going to have the pre-VAR era and the post-VAR uh, VAR era for when you're comparing goal scorers. So, yeah, I mean, Sam's definitely got a point there. Um, and I'd say that Fernandez will be right up there next season if he carries on like this. Well, I mean, there's so that. many good there's so many good penalty takers at United that I think, it, you know, it's going to be a fight for every time the ball is put yeah. down on the spot, I think. Just to add to the end of that as well, I mean, with Serie A in particular, Immobile 34 right now, we have two games left to play. So we'll see what happens. Higuain has the record at 36. Higuain took like two or three penalties to get to 36 goals in a non-VAR era. Uh, so... I just feel like it is a little bit of a shame if his record is toppled by someone who has genuinely had a crack from 12 yards 15 or more times unopposed. It's just, in my mind, it just doesn't quite make sense and it doesn't compare fairly. You can only play the field in front of you would be my (laughs) response. Right, Dean, let's move things on. What's about to happen that we need to know about? Well, this one's already started, but it's going to carry on happening is that this Thiago to Liverpool rumour is going to continue and nobody seems to know why. Is this Uh, the weirdest transfer saga of the summer? Are you you calling it now? I've written about it for BR and the article is called Making Sense of the Thiago to Liverpool Transfer Rumours. And I've given it a really good go, but I still can't (laughs) make much sense of it because nobody knows where he's going or why. Um... And it, you know, it began with stories about him not signing a new contract at Bayern. And then it became that he's going to look for a new club. Then it became he 
just wants to join Liverpool. Um, and it's all very strange because back in May, when Bayern put this offer on the table to Thiago, they were not concerned at all about him signing it. There was no reason to think that he'd had his head turned, that he wanted a new challenge. And he just said to them in May, I just need some time. And they were like, huh? Why? What? And they were caught out by it. And they were literally made to wait three or four weeks while Thiago just went silent on them. And then he came back and said, basically, he fancies a new challenge in England. And since then, it's it's come out via leaks from the dressing room that there's a feeling that Liverpool are the team in command here. And it's because he, he thinks he can join Liverpool. So then is it because Klopp is driving this? Maybe he's had a he's had a little phone call from somebody, whether it's Klopp, whether it's an intermediary, whether it's just somebody, a friend saying Klopp really likes you. If you fancy a move, this could be the one. I mean, Thiago's won the seven titles in a row at Bayern since he, he joined. Well, he won. He joined in 2013. He joined Bayern. He's won the league every year. And he'd won the league in La Liga with Barca. You know, how much, how many games he played I don't know, but he won the league twice before joining Bayern. So now, you know, a new challenge. Why not go and join the Premier League champions and give that a shot? Maybe that's maybe that's his motivation. I don't know. But it's a very strange one because it seems like Thiago has a plan and he's going to pull it off whether anybody likes it or not. He's just he's just decided. He's just decided what he's doing. Look, I love Thiago, you know this, and, and I kind of rate that he's just decided that this is what he's doing. He's like, it doesn't really matter if Liverpool don't want to pay the money, that's where I'm going. Um, but it does seem to be one of those things that might end up backfiring quite spectacularly, Sam. On him, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously he wouldn't have done any of this without you know being let know very casually or not that there were some interested parties. Obviously, Liverpool are the one, but... Liverpool currently are, they, they fancy quite a lot of players right now, don't they? And then when it comes to actually paying the money, they, they sort of shy off a little bit because they're impacted by the, the coronavirus as much as anybody. And yeah, they, they won't stump up for Timo Werner. That, you know, right now you look at the, the Liverpool modus operandi, where you talk about what they actually do in the market. They go for a data-driven approach. They take under 25-year-olds. They try to find value with resale, uh, resaleability. Thiago is 29 years of age, probably will not have any resale ability. He's a wonderful player. Like, I mean, I absolutely adore him as well. And if he does end up on Premier League shores, I'll be traveling up and down this country to watch him in a live capacity. But you won't. Oh, There's no fans allowed. <laughs> when we're allowed. When we're allowed. Uh, but I mean, what all of this actually, taking this on a step from Thiago, I mean, what he would actually add some, uh, to, to Liverpool, this kind of different element to their midfield, it would add a, a, la- a layer of creativity to the central three that they don't currently have and don't usually use that 3-4. That Naby Keita has had a really strong post-lockdown period, really strong end to the season. He's shown everything that you would want him to show. And, and the reasons that he was bought are now becoming much more clear. So just as Naby Keita, who is someone who was sought after by Klopp for two years and, has been, and has, they've had faith in him, just as he's starting to come to the fore, you would kind of buy a player that would play that kind of higher risk role in central midfield doesn't quite sit right with me, to be honest with you. So as much as I love the guy, I can't make sense of any of this. I'm going to read Dean's article and see if I get any further. But from what he's saying, it doesn't sound like it. Right, let's move things on one last time before we get to the FA Cup final. And something I really did love this weekend was the send-off and the kind of love-in around David Silva. And I think that we should address it because David Silva has been 
perhaps the best player across the last 10 years consistently in the Premier League. He has been magnificent in this turnaround of Manchester City in their redevelopment as a, a top-tier club and someone who's kind of been there since the, the outset of that. And, and the kind of outpouring of love for him this weekend from, from a lot of people, myself included, um, was, I thought, very justified. And it was just a word for... El Mago basically to say thank you, uh, to say what a player he's been, what a what servant to both Manchester City and to the Premier League as a whole. Um, I think when we when he came, everyone was like, "That's a coup and a half for Man City." And you look back ten years later, and you just think, "What a player!" You know, what a bloke. And then there's quite a lot of this, you know, about his his son who was born prematurely, and there was all of these worries about his health, and and yet even in that season, he came back to steer Manchester City towards silverware. Um, and he has been, I think, universally adored by fans of almost every club, I would say. There are, there are very few people who will look back and say, no, nah, I didn't like David Silva very much. And I think that's testament. You don't get many players uh, who, who can command that kind of respect from across the Premier League fan base. So just a word um, for me to say thank you. Uh, what a player, what a servant. And uh, it's, been, it's been joyful. Whoever gets him next, whether that be back in Spain... Uh, back to Valencia, there was talk of, which would be romantic. I've seen linked with Betis today, which I might just explode. Um, <laughs> but more than that, I think there was always talk of him going to the States, Dean, as well. And, and whoever picks him up has still got an absolute gem on their hands, as we've seen from the, the last couple of weeks post-lockdown. All-time Premier League 11 for me. All-time yeah. Premier League 11. Yeah, I mean, I have heard, I've heard Valencia for a while. Um, so it'll be interesting if that can happen. I mean, the MLS one, I'd say that's probably going to be difficult in this environment, in this, at these financial times. I would, I would wonder if that one's still on. And one thing I, I spoke, I did a wrote a Man City piece a couple of weeks ago, and I was just speaking to someone about targets and players that were leaving and stuff. And he, he did say to me, he said, on David Silva, the door's open. If he, if he wants to put this off for a while, if, if whatever move he's got lined up can't quite work out right now for financial reasons, whether it's because he can't move his family for whatever reason, whatever it might be, um, the door is open for him at Man City to play a few more games if he fancies at the start of next season. So I don't think that's probable, but I think it would be a very nice little twist if David Silva just crops up one last time. I think it would, it would have, to, have to do this again next year. Like there's been such this kind of like outpouring of emotion and then suddenly he's like, oh, by the way, I'm just sticking around again. Yeah. Sam, I mean, what a player, Sam. Yeah, I'm just thinking, I'm just a horrible scenario in my head there where like we give him this outpouring of emotion and love and we all appreciate him and everyone says lovely things and he comes back for a few days and his contract ends and they go, cheers, Dave, nice one, mate, thanks. Yeah. Because <laughs> you, you would actually have to manufacture all of that emotion all over again. But yeah, awesome player. I think just commands the respect of, of everybody. Uh, consistently excellent for 10 straight years, which is just unbelievable. I mean, come on, come on. Could, that, playing at that level for 10 straight years, being able to be in that body, you know, in that, in that slight little body of his, to be able to be so dominant in such a physical league through technical ability, through awareness, through football IQ, and to be so productive as well with goals and assists and free kicks at the same time. And just that consistency underlining all of it. Just, yeah, an all-time Premier League 11 player for me gets into that midfield. And, you know, we're talking we're talking that the absolute greats in that midfield, aren't we? We're talking about him playing ahead of like Patrick Vieira and Roy Keane and people like that. Like that's, that's, the, that's the esteem that I would hold him in. I think so. If you question so. him, then um, you need to go and watch another sport, to be honest. <laughs>
Right, let's move things on to our big talk today, and that is the FA Cup final. We'll be back after the break talking to fans from both teams, Joel from Cheeky Sport for Arsenal and Neitz from Football Life with Neitz about Chelsea and getting their opinions on what the future holds as well as their expectations for Saturday after the break. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks, and we are delighted to be joined by our first of two guests, Mr. Joel Bayer from Cheeky Sport. Joel, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good. How's it going, brother? Yeah, not too bad, man. Not too bad. I mean, look, you're in an FA Cup final. I don't think anyone would have expected this from an Arsenal perspective about two weeks ago, no? Listen, mate, Tottenham fans can shut their mouths. Do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> even in our worst season, even in our very worst season, we're still out there potentially picking up trophies. I'll tell you what, they know what our armpits look like. I can't remember what the Tottenham armpits look like, but you know what mine look like. Lifting champions. Yes. <laughs> Mate, we start off Mikel Arteta. It's been some turnaround, I think, since he's come in. Arsenal fourth in the Premier League kind of form table since the turn of the year. So he's definitely kind of turned a club round from what felt like a really dark place. We were there at the Emirates, their last game before Emery was sacked against Frankfurt. And it was dark, man. It was real dark. And the feeling around the club feels so different in a space of six months. Well, you've got to remember that sometimes you're not quite sure if it's the current manager or if it's the players, right? You've switched the manager. You can see that, well, it's not the manager. It's actually, you know, the situation with the players. And, and I think what's refreshing is that under Arsene Wenger, under Unai Emery, you kind of, if, if they were asked a question, it was like, he'll look at his guy. What did he say? What did he say? And you know, like Wenger, he's not really going to give you much. However, with Arteta, he's honest enough to say, look, you know, that we, we've got a lot of work to do. We've got a lot of work to do, as he says. Do you know what I mean? Like, and then he'll say to you, and then they'll go, oh, are you going to be backed? He goes, I don't know. Now, as weird as that sounds, sometimes we all just want some honesty. You know, because you don't want someone saying, oh, yeah, it's the board. It's not the board. It's the players. I've got all the players I need. He goes, no, we need to improve. And I think people like the honesty. They like the fact that he's got the team pressing harder. You know, they, they, they're they working harder. Even when Aubameyang plays on the left occasionally, he's tracking back. He's doing stuff that um, players weren't doing under Unai Emery. It looks like they just didn't really care. So um, I'm very happy with what he's done so far. But we need to improve our players. Okay, well, I mean, let's move on to this game. And and what I kind of want from you today is three reasons to be cheerful ahead of it. If you're an Arsenal fan, you're looking forward to this game. I mean, look, it's a, like we said at the top, it was kind of a bonus to be here in some ways because it was like, right, okay, this was not something that was being expected two weeks ago, three weeks ago, but here you are. But there's, you know, plenty of reason to believe that if you can beat City in a, in a semi, you can beat Chelsea in a final. And I just kind of like to see that, what, what the kind of reasons are behind that. Well, I think you've just, you know, laid one out there. If you can beat Man City, right, you can beat Chelsea. Because as far as I'm concerned, uh, look, these are one-off games. It's a cut competition people keep forgetting. Do you know what I mean? Like, are we better than Man City overall? No, we're not. Are we better than Chelsea? No, it hurts me to say it, but no, we're not. But in a one-off game, anything can happen. And you've got to remember, I look at our previous form against Chelsea. Do you guys remember the the 2-2 draw win that we had last time at Stamford Bridge, the draw win? Yeah, that, that, that drawing for me tells me that we can beat Chelsea, you know. And, and before that, we've had instances where we've played them and, yeah, we might have lost, but you can see something there. I think I would have been much more worried if it was Man United because all the London Man United fan base would have been right behind their team and it would have been difficult. However, Chelsea, I don't think they're as strong as, 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 um, as Man United and I think we've got the, um, the weaker out of the two. 
despite who won the game between them. And uh, it's a one-off game. And in a one-off game where we have nothing to play for, the players have had the chance to really rest since, you know, since, since we got to the finals. I feel like we can, anything can happen. And, I, and I'll put my money behind Arsenal winning all day because we've got a Bamiyang as well. Joel, what was your reaction to the incredible defensive effort in the City game? Like, that's not the Arsenal we know, is it? Holding on, that resilience, that ability to play through the pressure, that goal they scored, that went goal line to goal line from Emi Martinez through to Pepe crossing for a back. It was like football from a different world to what Arsenal fans must surely be used to over the last few years. It's a one-off game. And in a one-off game, David Luiz looks like, do you know what I mean, Nestor. So it's like, <laughs> like that's what I'm saying. Like, it's... What people need to understand in cup competition, like you can get away with this kind of stuff. You know, what I mean, we saw Greece make it to Euro two thousand, you know, Euro two thousand and four, was it or something like that? Like anything can happen, and and that's why I'm very confident. I don't think we're a better team than Chelsea, but I think in a one-off game, Mikel Arteta can come up with the tactics that's needed. So, all right, guys, let's get this in order. First reason, right, is because it's a one-off game, and anything can happen in a one-off game. Second reason is because we've got a fella. A fella who bangs in goals. The best striker in the league. His name is Pierre-Emerick. Do a front flip of Bamiyang. That's the second reason, okay? Third reason is got to be because of the guy that they used to call the cone picker. He's not a cone picker. He's a tactical genius. He's known Pep since 15. Pep knows what he's about. He came from La Masia as well for a reason. So he's got the football knowledge. The third reason has to be Mr. Mikel Arteta. I mean, if I was to press you on how you think Arsenal will go at a weekend, how you're going to line up, and then what you, how you predict the game to go, what would you say to me? I'll be honest with you. I think um, we'll probably come out the same way. Come out the same way we played against City. I think. I think that the, the pressing was strong, and I keep talking about the pressing. That was something that was missing under Unai Emery. It's just like teams would really just like roll over. I'm trying to not make any like sexual references for reason, but we'll just like roll over and just like, oh, like, how do you want it? Do you know what I mean? Like, but with Unai, you can you can see that not with Unai. Sorry, with uh, with Mikel, you can see that this, despite if they play three at the back or if they play four at the back, it's like you can you can generally see that the pressing is going to be the main thing, and they press from the front. Sometimes it's the basics. Like when players don't respect their coaches, we've all played for YouTube teams where you just think, who's this guy? Do you know what I mean? Like, but if it's someone you want to impress, if you've got a pro on the sidelines, you start pressing, you start doing the work. And I think that's what was missing. And I think Arsenal are going to be keen to bring the pressure to Chelsea. We're not going to sit there and go, oh, they're a better team than us. Do you know what I mean? Despite what formation they play. And I think if you look at the strikers, um, well, I say you look at Pierre-Emerick, I think it's, it's, it's simple, isn't it? Feed him the ball. Feed him the ball. Uh, Ceballos, unlock the defense. Do what you can do. Feed him the ball. Obviously, Saka, he, if he if he does start, he's going to be he's going to want the same instructions. I'm not really sure. If you want to know the truth, I'm not sure if they're going to start Lacazette uh, up top or if 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 he's going to be on the bench. And to be quite honest, I don't really care because I feel like Saka being there and obviously Kieran Tierney. You know, what I mean, being involved, oh, it gives us the options that we need. So I'm not I'm not really worried on that front. Um, I love. I'm so happy with Sabios. I'm so happy with Xhaka. Um, I'm obviously I'm very concerned with David Luiz. You always are. Uh, but if he can have the game he had against Man City, then I I really truly think we can wrap it up even before extra time. 
You mentioned it just there, but I know Sam's been massively impressed since the lockdown finished with that midfield duo of Chaka and Ceballos, who have come back from, you know, Chaka in many ways, almost criticism that we thought his Arsenal career was over, like full stop, the way that things panned out at the end, back end of last year. And Ceballos, who's kind of struggled a little bit with injuries, he's looked class on some games, gone missing in others. But since the lockdown, no, Sam was saying, they've, they've been unbelievable. But well, we all know he's, he's a good player. You know, I, I, I don't know if you've been watching Dean, like you could see in his first few games, right, that he had it, he, he, could, he had something, you know what I mean? I was looking, thinking, flipping it, these are the Real Madrid rejects, like, this is mad, isn't it? Like, because he's, <laughs> because he's, the Burnley game for Ceballos was a joke. Yeah, like really, really, really good. So it's like, you can, you can see that there's this, you can see that he's, he's got it. But then obviously, like what you said, he, he went missing a little bit, uh, but... I think now he's got the strength. The Premier League is also about the strength. It's the physicality. Sometimes people come from different leagues and they're great on the ball, but off the ball, they're pants because it's, you, you need to be fitter. You need to be stronger. And I think now um, he, he, he definitely looks it. I think even Pepe to an extent, I, I, I do feel like I, I want to see more from him, but he's a lot more stronger. He's a lot more before. He just had the ball. He'll try to, you know, the, the most successful thing he did was dribble past Van Dijk, but there was just nothing to it. Now, if he's got a free kick, you feel like he's going to score. If he's running down the wing, you feel like he's going to cross it in or he's not going to lose the ball. And I think our midfield is looking much, much more stronger and, and um, we can match him. We can match him, even though they got a very good midfield as well. Joel, can you just tell me a bit about Saka? Because when he first came in, I thought, oh, this is, this is, you've seen this many times before. Yeah. A young lad comes in and mm. he's got no fear, so he's just going to go for it. But he's just got better and better. I mean, I've seen very few players that can jink between players like he can with, with the ball that tight to him, create so wide, tight angles. It's unreal what he's doing. He's so small as well. Like I remember like I was having one of them fancy nights out in Hakkasan, isn't it? Like, and, and I saw him. And I was just like, oh, right, there he is. And he wasn't taking anything he shouldn't be taking. He was there sipping his water. And I got up, I was like, how are you doing, whatever. And I saw his house, I was like, this, this kid is like, and I'm not the tallest guys on the planet, guys. Don't let the, don't let the muscles fool you, yeah? Like, I'm not, I'm not like six foot or anything. Like, uh, but at the same time, it's, it's, he has just been incredible. He's very humble. He's very aware of who he is. And I, I think um, as long as he can remain humble and he keeps working hard he will get the minutes and you and I both know that once you get those minutes underneath your belt you get the chance to improve we've seen it many a times with Mason Mount you know Greenwood these guys are being blessed with minutes and that's why they are they are the talent you know and I think um, he's done so well uh, Saka that he looks like more of an option to play in the first team than Eddie Aketia. and we all know what Eddie Aketia's record is not only for Arsenal but also for England youth so I Big shout out to him. Uh, I think Nigeria are trying to swoop him for the international call-up. I don't know what England are doing at the moment, but if I was England, I'll be trying to do everything I can, man. Yeah, yeah. secure that golden generation. The Ealing Eusebio, as I call him. Um, right. <laughs> I thought you might like that. Right. <laughs> you know why that's mad? Because I just come back from Benfica, innit? Um, and and he's from ago. Ealing. It's cool. You know, we just got West London ballers all over the place here. It's a thing. It's a thing. Oh, that's sick. I like that. <laughs> You can make it. You can make it stick, man. Uh, just before you go, Joel, can I ask you? Press you for a prediction. Oh yeah, um, two-one Arsenal. Two-one two one Arsenal. Um, I think we'll do it within ninety minutes as well. Okay. Nice. Well, Joel, just if you want to just speak to the listeners, tell them where they can find you on Match Day and beyond. 
of course, if you follow me on my Instagram, it's joelbayer1. So that's joelbayer1. I'm all over there. But of course, where you'll get the, the nonstop entertainment memes, banter, good vibes with the audience. Yes, we reply back and we banter you back as well. It's Cheeky Sport Insta. We will be there. So make sure you type in Cheeky Sport Insta. There's going to be a great story. There's going to be great socials, man. Be our football. I love you guys. Mate, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much, man. Have a Enjoy fun. the game, yeah? Peace. Well, thank you so much to Joel. That was an incredible insight from the Arsenal perspective. Just before we get on to the Chelsea perspective with Neats, Dean, it's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Branislav Ivanovic. He oh. lifted the Russian Cup. Oh, yeah. <laughs> after his team Zenit just won the final. And he dropped it seconds later. Now... Normally, that wouldn't matter too much, but it was made of glass, which, which is ludicrous in itself. Whoever designed that is a melon. Um, uh, Ivanovic, he laughs. Um, I think he's embarrassed. Uh, his teammates are covering their hands, and I'll tell you what, he definitely felt like a melon. It's a couple of them are like sort of leaning over it as if they can sort of put it back together. Like the Russian <laughs> cup is like... It's like Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall. Look, all it needs is a bit of super glue. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, uh, the English FA Cup is made of st- much sterner stuff. We can assure everybody of that. But uh, cast your minds back as well, because it just reminded me of Sergio Ramos dropping the Copa del Rey or the Super Cup, whichever one it was, under the team bus. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, the mangled version of it is available in a museum to, to look at now. <laughs> I would, um, I would highly recommend you do go and get it. Yeah, that's that's amazing. But yeah, I actually, to be fair, I was a bit confused at first, but that is a, a very fair melon of the week. Right, it's back to serious business. Uh, let's go on to part two of our FA Cup final special with Deliveroo. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks. We flipped sides now after Dean's melon of the week. We are into the blue half of London this weekend. And joining us for this, we have Nice from Gold Diggers Podcast, Football Life with Nice. You name it, she's on it. <laughs> and, and a Chelsea perspective, an old friend of the ranks squad, Nice. It's so good to have you back. Thank you for having me, guys. I'm very happy to be here to talk about how my team is going to win in the final. <laughs> uh, I mean, I like this enthusiasm to begin with, but let's wind it back a tiny bit. This season, the pressure was quite low, I'd say. You know, I mean, there's always there's always going to be pressure at a you know a top football club like Chelsea, but you know, with with what Lampard was doing and the whole season. You know, and, and with the ban and Hazard leaving and all these things, it felt like the pressure was off and he has delivered big time. Yeah, honestly, he has. Um, I think the pressure was only on for about, oh no, off, sorry. The pressure was only off for about three, four months. And then when we saw that Frank Lampard could actually get us top four, we put the pressure back on. You know, us Chelsea fans, we have high expectations. So the second we sniffed top four, we said, yeah, top four, got to get it. And then Frank Lampard even said it himself, like, it's Chelsea, we're a top team, we need to be aiming for top four. So then it was like, there was a lot of pressure, like, going throughout the season from, I would say, December. December onwards, we had to get top four. We had to nick it from um, Leicester, we had to nick it from Man United, we had to get it. But yeah, I would say it's been a successful season, considering, like you said, we lost Eden Hazard and... Most people know me for loving that man because he's literally carried Chelsea on his back for how many years now. So, yeah, um, I don't know. I'm a bit shocked about how far we've come. Like A lot of Chelsea fans would say we deserve to be here. I personally don't agree, but I'm happy, you know? Nice. what was the moment you thought, we're going to finish top four, we've got this in us? When was the change? 
<laughs> um, last week. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like, to be honest, I always exert confidence, like, because it's my team. Chelsea's Chelsea, innit? But I promise you, I was completely losing my mind thinking that we're not going to beat Wolves on a final match and we're going to end up fifth and I just don't know how we're going to do it. But the second the uh, second goal came in, from, I think it was from Giroud, second that goal came in, I was like, we've got it. <laughs> right, it's in so, the bag. So, so, yeah, it's basically half-time for the 38th the game. Final yeah. game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, i say um, Lampard's highlight of the season undoubtedly shouting at the Liverpool bench like he did, wasn't it, Neats? Yes, yes, yes. That fueled me up. Even though we lost 5-3, even though we lost, I was like, Lampard is really one of us. Like, he's a proper football fan. Like, you get the managers who will sit there a, lot, a bit stationary coming into work to do their job, to get their teams to win. But Lampard, the passion, beautiful absolutely beautiful i mean look a lot of confidence coming out of the camp right now and uh yeah i respect it but what are the three reasons you're gonna you're gonna win this game on saturday because this is an fa cup final and look i know that chelsea have been in in many cup finals and their record in them is is pretty exquisite frankly but you know this is a, a new team a team that wasn't that wasn't much expected of straight away and it's still a young team and, and there's a lot of players in here who haven't been in this situation before same across the camp in arsenal you know there's a lot of players who haven't been there and done that what are yeah. three main reasons you reckon you've got this in the bag on saturday well firstly it's arsenal um <laughs> they give us a chance to get in behind them we've got it like it's it's arsenal um, like, look at what happened against Watford. Come on, even though they won the match, come on, how could you leap two goals like that? Like, you were 3-0 up. If it's a team like Chelsea and you're 3-0 up and you're leaking goals like that with your defence, my goodness, we're going to take our chances and we're going to put it in behind them. Um, I just think, personally, the defence is a little bit too unorganised for them to hold even a clean sheet at this point. I'm not going to say like ours is great or anything. Please don't slaughter me. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's my first reason. It's Arsenal. They're not the greatest when it comes to um, the finals against Chelsea, even though they won in 2017. They're not the greatest when it comes to facing us in a big match. So that's my first reason. Um, my second reason, I think you touched on it a little bit. There's a lot of confidence in the camp right now. Um, I was one of the Chelsea fans that gave Pulisic quite a lot of stick at the beginning of the season. I said, oh my God, who is this guy? Get him out of here. And then he comes back after the restart. I'm eating <laughs> my words. And then my dad's like, should I buy you a Pulisic shirt? I'm like, leave it out. Leave it alone, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes, yes, please. Yeah. I'm going to get one next season. I don't care. But yeah, um, our camp is literally exerting with confidence. Um, not just Pulisic, but Mason Mount. The kid is amazing. He's, he's literally shown since the restart that he's really confident. He's going to keep his spot next season, despite who we're linked with, despite how many players are coming in. He's fighting for that spot. So this is another chance for him to show Lampard, like, yeah, you believed in me and we are going and he is going to... Um, not put it in vain for Frank Lampard. So he's going to keep his spot and he's going to bring that confidence. On top of that, I think, who else is pretty confident at the moment? Not Kepa. This is reasons you're going to win, not lose, right? So not Kepa, not Kepa. 
But Mason, Mason Mount is Lampard's boy. He's his golden boy. He's the guy he turns to. He's the guy that leads the press. Yeah. He, he brings the energy. He trusts him. He tends to score goals at good times. And yeah, yeah I mean, I mean, Giroud as well. Giroud in cup finals. You've got right. the if you've got Giroud in the final, you've got to win. That's how it works. That's how football is written. Literally, you cannot bet against Giroud. You can't. And if he starts, God willing, he starts on Sunday, I'd have no you know, sense of doubt in my mind that we are going to win that final. Especially because, remember when we played him in the Europa League, Giroud even thanked Arsenal for giving him a European trophy. You know, there's levels. <laughs> there's absolute levels. So, yeah, we've got a lot of confidence. On top of that, I feel like a lot of players in the team right now are actually fighting for their spot. So, you've seen, like, we're linked with a lot of people, um, especially um, Havertz at the moment. Um, we've got ZH coming, we've got Werner coming as well. And everyone's going to be on their toes to fight for this. But I know Giroud, he probably wants to be a starter, which is unlikely to happen. But we can't really tell him no unless, you know, he fumbles the bag, you know. Um, but yeah, and just going on to my third point, I actually couldn't really think of anything apart from the fact that it's Arsenal. <laughs> so, so the reasons are... It's Arsenal, you're confident, and it's Arsenal. Yeah. Like, no, honestly, like, if your team's playing against Arsenal, you can't bet against your team. Like, it's, it's maths, you know? <laughs> it's actually maths. Even though they beat Man City, one-off, lucky, whatever, it's maths. We're going to beat them. We, we were at the bottom of our game in Baku last year. We were at the bottom of our game. There was a bust up the night before with Sarri and Louise. What happened? 4-1. Who loses 4-1 in the European final? Like, come on, guys. It's, it's Arsenal. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, how do you see? I, I almost don't need to ask. It's Arsenal. It doesn't matter how we set up. <laughs> how do you see Chelsea setting up at uh, the weekend? I genuinely hope we go with three at the back because I think we do play our best football when we are playing three at the back. Um, but it also does depend on how Alonso is feeling that day, whether he wants to play or whether he wants to just be lazy and not run after any balls at all. Um, I would hope we play three at the back. I would hope, you know, we continue with the high press that we've been doing all season. But again, I don't want us to have 70% of the, the possession like we did against Sheffield United and just not score. So I hope we do um, five at the back, um, three at the back, sorry. Um, Alonso and James, wing backs. Um, Pulisic must start. It's a must. Because not starting him against Liverpool was a rookie mistake from Frank Lampard. I don't think I can forgive him for that. Not yet, anyway. But it was a, it was a really rookie mistake. Um, I think Giroud has to start. And most importantly, listen to me carefully, Kepa must not start that <laughs> match. If, if Tammy starts, I'm fine. If I start, I'm fine. <laughs> Kepa must not <laughs> start that match. Honestly, anyone but Kepa. Caballero has been good. He has been really good. So I don't want to see Kepa. I don't even want to see him on the team sheet. I don't even want to be, I don't even want him on the bench. Who's our under 19 keeper at the moment? Let's get him. Honestly. Honestly. I see Martin Bulka left the club a year too early. He would have been starting all of these games. Let's call him back. Bring him back. <laughs> Bring him back. Um, <laughs> niece, before you go, what's the prediction for the, for the scoreline? Um, I'm predicting 3 1 Chelsea. Because, you know, we do leak goals from the back. So we are bound to, you know, 
um, concede one goal. Probably from um, a corner. Pro- mm. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Most likely from a corner. Um, yeah, 3-1 Chelsea. I think Giroud's going to score a brace. I think Pulisic on the last goal. Um, yeah, and Aubameyang will probably get one in as well because, again, he is a top-class player. I'll give it to him. But it, it actually depends because if um, David Luiz wants to give away a penalty and then Jorginho scores, you know, it, it just depends. <laughs> we'll just level it up. We'll see how it goes. Nice, thank you so much for joining us. Do you want to just tell the rank squad how can they can follow you uh, for Cup Final Day and beyond? Yeah, so my um, handles on Twitter and Instagram are at FLWN underscore. And obviously, I'm also with the Gold Diggers podcast. So at Gold Diggers UK on both um, Twitter and Instagram. So yeah, that's where you can find me. Nice, it's been an absolute pleasure as ever. Thank you so much for coming (laughs) back and um, joining us again. Thank you. We'll see you soon, yeah? Enjoy the final. <laughs> Welcome back to BR Football Ranks. This is your FA Cup special with Deliveroo. We're going to talk a little bit more about the future of these two clubs now. And, and two clubs, we're kind of contrasting points right now in the transfer market. And it seems only fair to start with Chelsea, considering how much they've already done in this market, Dean, and also the deals that look like they're about to, to happen as well. We've seen Ziyech and Hatton. Timo Werner come in uh, and there's talk that the Kai Havertz deal from Leverkusen looks like it's edging ever closer to the line. Personal terms agreed. Clubs trying to work out a fee now. I mean, these are huge statement signings from Chelsea. Uh, although I do know a few Chelsea fans who are slightly concerned about the lack of uh, names coming in from a defensive reinforcement perspective. <laughs> Why worry about defence when you can just go all out attack? I mean... Chelsea have definitely been helped by the fact that they've managed to finish fourth. I mean, that was really important. Um, Just gives you that extra edge when you're trying to compete for sign-ins. Almost guarantees them Kai Havertz at this stage. Still no competition to sign one of the best young talents in world football, which is just unreal. Uh, As you say, talks are ongoing. It's going to take someone to come in and gazump them now. Um, So it's not impossible that that happens, but it's looking unlikely. and then taking it on further, uh, people I speak to seem pretty confident that they will sign Ben Chilwell. So if you start to look at the defence, then that's certainly an area to look. Um, it's been talked about a long time, that left-back area and what they might do. Uh, getting rid of Emerson, probably get rid of Alonso. Um, Chilwell is top of the list and they think it can be done. They need to negotiate on the fee, though, at this stage. I was going to say, the £80 million touted for Chilwell seems well out of town. So did Maguire I mean, for 80 million. <laughs> I mean, from Leicester's point of view, they're like, well, we got 80 million for Maguire. We're starting there. And it's fair enough. It's climate, though, isn't it? It is, yeah. But you've still got to start high and see where you end up. And if Chelsea end up paying 60 million for Chilwell, I'd say Leicester have done pretty well there. And the player himself has, you know, can push on and show ambition and continue to build his career. So I think that that would be probably good for all parties. And I think Leicester are preparing for that right now. Um, then you need to look at centre-backs. As, as you say, Like this is an area where Chelsea absolutely have to make a signing and it has to be a significant signing. I know that Declan Rice is touted quite a lot as coming into Chelsea as a defender. I personally am not told that. I'm told that, yeah, they are interested in Declan Rice, but it's not that he's only going to play as a centre-back. I think it really helps that he can play centre-back as well. Um, but they're very aware of the fact that Either Jorginho or Kante might leave. I mean, both are going to have talks this week and next just about where they 
see their future. Um, and I think Declan Rice, just his versatility could, could be a good option for them there. Then you move on to the goalkeeper. Um, I wrote in February that Lampard wasn't sure about Kepa, but he was leaning on um, people who know more about that area than he does. So Christoph Lollikon, who was the goalkeeping coach and now helps out with scouting at Chelsea um, in goal, asked him plenty of questions. Petr Cech as well, who obviously works at Chelsea still, to help him make a decision over what to do. And now you'd have seen reports probably the last couple of days about they are willing to accept bids for over £50 million for uh, Kepa to leave Chelsea. Well, of course they are. But they also know there's not much chance that that bid lands on the table because the bloke's been an absolute disaster. Personally, I think that it's going to take either a swap or a loan if they're going to get rid of Kepa. It might be that they have to do loan with a view to get him out for the time being and actually just replace him. Um, try and get some of his wages off the bill for a bit. And then they've got to push for a new keeper and decide where they're going. They're linked with like Old Black and Tostegan. Not happening, is it? You know, it's, that's not happening. Um, think more along the lines of Nick Pope or Onana, as we've said for a long time now on here. Um, those are two names that have been in the frame since the day Lampard started looking around and they're still on the table. So there's lots of areas to be filled for Chelsea. They've got the cash, which is a position most clubs are not in right now. They can make more cash as well by player sales and they'll look to offload players on the fringes. Um, so pretty exciting time, I have to say, to be a Chelsea fan. Right, Sam, I'm going to chat this over to you. How on earth do you fit all these players into a formation if you are Frank Lampard? Obviously, this isn't a criticism. If you get the chance to sign Kai Havertz, you have to sign Kai Havertz. He's one of the most exciting young talents in Europe. There's no kind of stigma attached to that. What it does worry me is how they fit all these players alongside Abraham, Mount, Pulisic, H- hudson Adoy. There's so many players already in this mix. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's so crowded in that area, isn't it? I mean, I'm with you there. If the opportunity to sign Kai Havertz up, you don't miss. And Timo Werner, I can understand it as well. Uh, Ziyech, well, yeah, you add him to Pulisic and you add him to Mount and you add him to... To Hudson Adoy and then, you know probably Barkley as well. Barkley's clearly, clearly his days are numbered in face of it all of this competition. I don't have the answers to how the hell this lines up. I have, I am, I am eagerly awaiting pre-season to see what Lampard tries to do here because this is just incredible. I mean, presumably, well, I, initially my starting point was going to be Werner off the left-hand side with uh, with Abraham up front, um, and then you're going to have. You know, Pudisic and Ziyech kind of rotating in the other two roles. If you add Havertz into that mix, probably plays in the Premier League as a number 10. So that means heavy rotation between Pudisic, Hudson Adoy, uh, Ziyech. Man, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting one. The midfield, the midfield section is going to have to do a hell of a lot of work. And uh, you know, I'm not a massive fan of Kante playing as the deepest uh, sitting midfielder, but. In this scenario, with the squad build that they've got, and given that he is now succumbing to more and more injuries with every passing month, it seems, I wonder if actually that's just the best thing to do now. Uh, genuinely, I do. But one thing's for sure, and I want to make this really clear, as, as fun as it can be to sign all these attackers, and also, obviously, they're going to address the defensive situation with personnel. They're going to have to learn to defend corners, or they're not going to get anywhere. Uh, they're not going to rise above their level if they're going to continue to be picked on by bigger, stronger teams. And Lampard has really struggled with his defensive uh, output at, at corners this, this year. He's tried all sorts of stuff, zonal, man-marking, bit of both, bit of everything. They're the second worst team in Europe at defending corners, uh, according to the stats at the end of June, if you, if you consider how many of your goals conceded are from corners. 
that the worst is Amion, who went down by like seven points in Liga. They're absolutely awful. And yeah. that is what is going to happen. Obviously, personnel is a huge part of this. Kepa, he's so passive. He's so weak. He's not commanding. And they don't have that much height at the back. Christensen is, is also so weak and could be dominated aerially. That's why these, these pickups, there's a new goalkeeper, maybe Onana, maybe Pope. Pope is excellent in the air. Maybe a new centre-half who's more commanding. Like, I know he's probably not going to be available, but if Juventus can't start Demiral 8.38 times a season, Demiral is good enough to play for almost any club in the world. And I would, I would pick up that phone and ask. Like, these personal issues will go some way to solving it, but... Lampard has got so much to figure out tactically this summer with all these new toys he's got in addition to the pre-existing issues. Yeah, they should never have let Michael Hector go last summer for £8 million because that man is unbelievable in the air. Right, let's move on to Arsenal. Dean, what's the noises coming out of the Emirates? Obviously, there's been long-term links to Thomas Partey, who I know that so many Arsenal fans are desperate to get over the line. Uh, but also talk in the last couple of days, Gendouzi being touted as a swap deal with Barcelona for Philippe Coutinho in what seems like the world's weirdest deal. Um, but I mean, it's Arsenal. These things happen. I mean, Sam, we're going to come on to you in a minute as well. But obviously, Saliba's coming back in from that season-long loan. He is going to, you'd imagine, bolster the defensive ranks. Uh, but there's there's a lot to address here for Mikel Arteta as well, Dean. Yeah, I mean, Arsenal haven't got any money. That's that's where we're at. Um, it's a big problem, isn't it, when you go into a transfer window and you haven't got any money. Um Last season, they obviously got around it by playing, you've come up with their instalment plan and they'll come up with something again this year to make a signing. They've just got to decide who that signing is going to be. You know, at the moment, trying to sign Thomas Partey for 25 million euros when his release clause 50 million euros isn't a very good way of starting negotiations, I don't think. Um, so it's very Arsenal though, isn't it? It's very Arsenal and it's very amusing for if you're not an Arsenal fan. Um, but... The fact is they're going to sign one player for half decent money and everything else will probably be swaps, frees and loans. So let's look at their main targets. Partey is, is a realistic, is a real target. That's somebody that they are prioritizing. Um, they've just got to decide how they go about it and what they're going to have to include on top of the 25 million they can actually afford to, to try and get him. Um, elsewhere at center back, they really want somebody and they're looking to sign Ideally, somebody who's young but also has top-level experience and can be moulded by Arteta still. So it's a really difficult blend of things to find, but that's why Deo Upamecano is somebody that they are looking at getting through the door because he's still young enough to be taught a thing or two. Um, and they think that he's gettable. The problem is he's 60 million euros. So he's costing even more than Thomas Party they can't afford. So <laughs> another problem for them there. Up front, let's see what's happened with Albamiang. He is their best player. He believes he's their most valuable player. And as such, he sees Mesut Ozil earning 350 grand a week. So he wants 350 grand a week or at least something close to it. Um, and that's fair enough. You know, if that's what, if that's the structure that they already had in place, then they've got to deal with the consequences of that. And this is the consequence that they have to find a way of pleasing now their best player. Um, so other options, if they do need a striker, which they probably will end up needing one, um, if they go into the loan market then they'd like to look at something like Luka Jovic, if that's possible, which would be a fair and good idea. Um, if they're going to end up buying somebody, then the dream would be somebody like Leon's Moussa Dembele, which again might be unrealistic if they haven't got any money. Um, if they want to drop down a level, a tier of player, I guess, then they're going to look towards um, Celtic and Odson Edouard, um, who 
looks on the verge of a, of a move somewhere. Um, look, looks to test himself at the next level, obviously has done really well. Um, and it seems like that could be a, a plausible signing for Arsenal. They also really like Brentford's goalkeeper, um, David Raya. They've thought for a while about a new backup. I think Martinez has given them second thoughts on that because he's, he'd been really good. Uh, Bernd Leno proved himself as one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League, I think. His, his shot stop in particular from long range, his, his full stretch saves are, are pretty hard to beat. Um, but he's been really good this season. So they're looking for a backup, really. And yeah, he's really come on their radar. And then on the back of that, you've also got the freeze that they're going to look out for. Players like Willian, players like Ryan Fraser. The re- there's a reason they're being linked. It's because they Arsenal are going to have to pad out their squad somehow. <laughs> that, that's the direction they're going to have to look in. Right, Sam, how is Arteta going to pull all this together? We've seen him kind of mess around with different formations. We've seen him try and work out what his system is. How is this going to pan out, do you think? Yeah, just a quick point on the freeze. Thiago Silva, unless he's signed somewhere, is... He's out there. He's, he's, he's out there. Uh, so, as well, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, that would be a very interesting shout on the limited budget. But yeah, Arteta, he started his Arsenal career as manager playing like a pretty strict 4-2-3-1 formation and tried to embed something. Try and, give it, try and give the team a tactical identity or some principles that obviously they didn't have under Unai Emery because Emery changed his formation every 12 minutes on the clock. So it was good to start with something consistent and it was 4-2-3-1. And then over the course of post-lockdown and maybe just a bit before, he started to branch out, try new things. And in the last three weeks of the season, we saw 4-3-3 against Southampton. We saw 3-4-3 against Man City in the FA Cup semi-final. We saw 3-4-1-2 kind of against Aston Villa. So he's obviously flexing his muscles here. What do I want to do? To me, the answer is 3-4-3 because it gets... The five players that he absolutely has to have in this team, in, in the team, in good positions. So that's Aubameyang, Lacazette and Pepe all together. Pepe off the right, cutting in on his left. Aubameyang surging in from the left onto his right, and he's been deadly doing that. Lacazette needs more consistency. He goes from 10 out of 10 against City to 0 out of 10 against Villa, and it's a problem, but he can link the play. Then you get Saka left wing back, and you get KT3, Kieran Tierney, the world's greatest footballer in less centre-back where he's performing admirably, if not excellently. So there's, there's your spine, right? That, well, it's not a spine, it's a, left, it's, a, it's a curved spine on the left. But those are the important ones. Saka, the future of the club, the homegrown prospect. Tierney, the expensive and excellent player. Your top scorer, your record transfer, and the guy who just links it all together. The centre-midfield pairing of Sabahs and Xhaka, it's been really good post-lockdown. So all of these things are pointing towards 3-4-3. The other questions, I guess, are just... In, at centre-half, can you protect David Luiz better by putting him in the middle of a back three? We saw under Conte how effective that can be. And is it okay to just throw William Saliba, who is a really good prospect? Like, I make this clear when I checked on him when he was back at Saint-Étienne. In terms of young central defensive prospects, he's, he's one of the best I've, I've ever seen through like 10 years of taking a look at these guys. He's got all the raw tools to be absolutely amazing. But he was exceptional for Saint-Étienne, at least to start with, alongside some really experienced players like, you know, Loic Perran and, and Mathieu Debouchy, like well into their 30s, able to sort of guide him through. And dropping a young player into the Arsenal defensive line, it feels almost criminal at times if you have to go and be guided by a David Luiz or a Shkodra Mustafi. Like it's, it's a very different kettle of fish. I hope that his quality can shine through and the chaos of it all doesn't kind of crush him down a little bit. But on paper, they've got quite a lot, quite a lot more sorted than you would have expected or, or maybe anticipated back when obviously the Unai Emery era ended. Arteta has fixed and found solutions to quite a lot of things and heads into this summer 
fortunately not needing that much because apparently he doesn't have any money to use. But another centre-half and a, you know, a Xhaka-style defensive midfielder who is more reliable over a longer stretch, I think are the only two things they really badly need. And I'd steer away from the backup goalkeeper thing, man. Emi Martinez has been great. Yeah, he has. He has. Well, that's pretty much all we've got time for in terms of discussing Arsenal and Chelsea. But there's a lot to look forward to for both clubs, not least the heads-up FA Cup final this Saturday. Um, This has been your BR Football Ranks FA Cup final special brought to you with Deliveroo, complete with some spicy side dishes on the Premier League top scorers. Uh, Penalties only counting for half. Dean's transfer insights, William Saliba knowledge, you name it, we got it. And make sure you get yourself on Deliveroo app on Sunday when you're watching the game to get up to 25% off with a load of match day special offers to give yourself that perfect feed alongside the game. And let's hope for a crackerjack at Wembley. I've been Jack Collins, and all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Joel Bear and Neitz for joining us earlier on to talk Arsenal and Chelsea, respectively. Make sure you follow both of them on their socials. I imagine they'll be full of energy on Saturday and giving it large on their social channels. Uh, to Dean Jones, thank you very much. Cheers, mate. To Sam Ty, thank you very much. Thank you, mate. Enjoy the final. I will. I've been Jack Collins. This has been BR Football Ranks with your FA Cup final special. Enjoy the game, enjoy your weekends, and we will see you next week, Rank Squad. Peace.